Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening, come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. Good morning. Welcome to Jim Fleming Sunday School class. I am not Jim Fleming. Aren't y'all lucky? I'm exceedingly more handsome. And uh, no, Jim's out uh, growing his beard in uh, Phoenix. So uh, he had to go where there was a little bit warmer climate and uh, get that beard going back. He'll be back this week. Uh, Work took him out there and spoke with him uh, just a little while ago. So he sends his greetings. I'll just go ahead and tell you in case I forget and face the wrath of Julie, there is a weekly update (laughs) on your table. So please, by all means, mark your attendance this morning and any prayer requests or comments how horrible the speaker did, whatever. I mean, you know, we put all that in there and uh, we'll get it to the the right person. You have your Bibles or devices. We'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's amazing it's right before 2 Timothy. Depending on your presidential candidate, one Timothy, whichever it might be. The background here is that Paul is writing to Timothy, who is living in Ephesus. Paul had stayed there in Ephesus for around three years. This is more than likely sometime after Acts 28 has occurred, and Paul is beginning his missionary journey, leaving Ephesus, going to uh, Macedonia, and Paul mentions, Paul writes a letter to Timothy. Now Paul mentions Timothy around six times throughout his writings. But the first time we encounter Timothy is in Acts 16. And there we learn that Timothy is the child of a Jewish mother, but a Greek or Gentile, a non-Jew father. So at that time, pretty controversial to the Jewish community, for sure. He was mixed, mixed ethnicity, mixed race for them. Paul lived here among this church for three years. You live with somebody for three years and that kind of environment 
where they are meeting on a probably more than weekly basis, probably several times a week, breaking bread, getting to know one another, sharing the gospel. You get to know somebody like that. So Paul knew these Christians, these believers in Ephesus. He understood how they lived. He understood their culture. He understood their government, their daily lives. So he's writing to Timothy in this church that he loves, that he's spent so much time in, and he's leaving them now, and he's on the road, and he sends this letter. So before we dive into chapter 2, we need to look and see how chapter 1 ended because it sets the scene for us. It sets the context. Verse 18, chapter 1, verse 18. We'll touch on that, and then we'll go into chapter 2. Verse 18. This I charge, this I entrust, Timothy. Some versions say charge. Uh, The ESV, I believe, says entrust. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance to the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Among them, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So Paul is telling Timothy... Listen, some people have fallen away. Timothy probably knew the two individuals that Paul mentioned. He probably knew not only who they were, but what happened. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith. What did they reject? Paul says that they rejected keeping faith and a good conscience. So how can you keep faith in a good conscience? Well, you have to communicate as a believer. You have to communicate to our Heavenly Father. Paul tells Timothy, some have decided to make their own priorities. Some have decided to make their own goals, their own route, their own plans. As I said last week, I'll say it again this week, When you choose to go against the plans of God, God's not going to be the loser in that equation. We need to keep that in mind this coming Tuesday. So let's go on and look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to read the first four verses. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul says, first of all, you know, first things are normally important. 
when we had our first child, you want to talk about a life-changing experience. You have your first child, like many of us have. We never forget that moment. Now, not, not saying that the other ones aren't important. I mean, you know, hey, April 15th rolls around, <laughs> the more the merrier. <laughs> but, but the first one is an experience, isn't it? And, and we had a girl first, and so when we had the girl first, you know, I mean, everything got pink around the house. Uh, yeah, I'm here in my sheriff's office uniform sometimes, this big burly guy in the Barbie aisle at Walmart, you know, no, no shame, all, all looking for the prettiest princess thing that I could get for my little girl, the firstborn child. First things are important. You remember your first job that you had? <laughs> Wanted to forget it? Yeah, I understand. Been there. <laughs> remember the first car you had? I get a little upset with my dad when we talk about first cars. My dad's first, very first car, 1968 Apple Red Ford Mustang. I mean, the Mustangs that were made in the late 60s, man, beautiful. They were artwork. I said, Dad, what happened to the car? Why am I not driving that? He did what most other young men did. He wrecked it. <laughs> yeah, that car got totaled, wrapped it around a tree. First things matter. You ever had made a first impression? You ever experienced somebody making a first impression on you that wasn't good? I sat on a hiring board this week, and as the people came in and, and we're trying something new where I work and we're hiring people that are 20, under the age of 21, and uh, some of them came in like I expected, and some of them came in blue jeans and t-shirts. Uh, you know, first impressions. <laughs> first impressions matter. Well, let me ask you this. What do you think the first impression is of the American church, the church in America, spreading all denominations, just, just simple believers, Christians? What do you think the first impression is from unchurched people? <coughs> unchurched people. What do they see us as? What do they know us as? Do they know us as a people of ministry? Do they say, yeah, those are the people that you see out uh, feeding the hungry. Those are the ones that start the soup kitchens. Those are the ones that are making sure that the children living on the streets in Chattanooga have clothes. There are children living on the streets in Chattanooga, where we live. We were out yesterday at Head of the Hooch, and on the way back, uh, one of the people we were with said, look at this fountain right here, uh, right there by one of the hotels on Chestnut Street, and on the fountain there's a sign, and it says, please do not bathe in the fountain. She said, who would do that? I said, oh, you would be surprised who would do that. There's a reason the sign was ha had to be put there. Right here in our community, 
So do people say, oh yes, the Christian community here in Chattanooga, let me tell you what they're doing. They're feeding the hungry. They're clothing the naked. Do they know us as a people of education? You know, there was a time in this world where the only way you learned to read, the only way you learned math was if you were around a church. You should take a look at the Puritan lifestyle and, and realize a lot of it, yes, yeah, certainly I'm not adopting, but you should read the children's catechism. You should Google that at some point. And what they taught their children, it would be mind-blowing to you. There's no way in, in, in where we're at now. I'm telling you, it would take me a year to talk myself into trying to memorize what they had their little children memorize. Are we known as a people of education? Not only for people that want to flee public schools, not only for people that want to live in suburbia and have a certain kind of lifestyle, that kind of Christian education. I'm talking about are we known for bring me your children and let me educate them. Are we known for that? Are we known as a people of prayer? And that's where Paul digs in here. And he starts talking to Timothy about prayer. He says, I urge you. Now, Timothy, listen, you can choose not to do what I'm about to say. But I, Paul, whom you love and whom you know and who has mentored you, I am urging you to do this. So October the 31st is what? Halloween, right? But in church history, it's known as what? All Saints Day. And what else? There's one more for the Protestant world. We know it as what? Reformation Day. Reformation Day. Where Martin Luther boldly walks to the church and delivers... His 95 trees. And he says to the Pope, Hey, we got some problems in the church. <laughs> and the Pope starts to say, Not anymore, once I have you killed. <laughs> Problem gone. 499 years ago, October 31st. So that means next year, the Reformation would have been occurring for 500 years. Incredible. Luther wrote a book called The Bondage of the Will, in which he says, you know, Timothy, or Paul is urging Timothy to do something here. And Luther says, look, when we're urged to do something, when we're choosing to do something, outside of salvation, we're going to choose sin. So for the biggest argument for uh, Reformed thought all the way through in their soteriology and their view of salvation is that people have a free will. And Luther says, absolutely. There is no question people have a free will. But that free will is in bondage 
to sin. And if you doubt that, let's go down here to the nursery. (laughs) And these little angels, (laughs) which we all say are so pure and so innocent, are they concerned when you're hungry? No. But the moment that they are hungry, the world should cease to spin until food has been brought unto them. They are a very selfish people. And uh, by the way, most of us just don't get out of that. I, I certainly haven't. I might, I might change my thing, my, my what I'm selfish for, but most of the time, the world is about me. It's about us. So Luther says, yeah, you have a free will, but understand, it's fallen and it's in bondage to sin. Paul is saying to Timothy, as a believer, Timothy, listen, I urge you to do what I'm about to ask you to do. I'm encouraging you. I'm imploring you. Please do what I'm about to ask you to do. What is he urging? He's urging Timothy to pray. Paul urges us to be a people of prayer for people. Not just for ourselves, for others. To be a people of prayer for other people. And Paul says this, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Let's break that down. Supplication. That's a request. You're asking for something. You know, request should never be your entire prayer, but we should be able to boldly go and ask our Heavenly Father. Paul is saying you need to request some things on behalf of other people that are even not believers. They're not believers. But we're going to have to stand in the gap, Timothy. And we're going to have to go to God and we're going to have to ask for some things for them. Prayers is a broad term. It's simply communicating to God. But think about that. That is serious business. When a believer is communicating to our Heavenly Father, the Creator of the universe, the author of our salvation, that leads us to intercession refers to those requests that we're making and we're making them on behalf of others. We're standing in that gap. When we pray, we should take time to remember the needs of other people, not only other believers, but also non-believers. Sometimes we forget about that. Sometimes it's difficult to think of. Lastly, Thanksgiving. I don't thank God enough. There must be a time when we come before our Heavenly Father where we offer Him thanksgiving for His blessings. Just this morning, I was listening to Jim Kelly, the former quarterback of the Buffalo Bills. He lost his son at eight years of age. When his son was born, they told him he'll not live to see his second birthday. Jim Kelly said, we started living and being around him, not as if he was going to die, but as if he was going to live. And he did live. And we're thankful to God 
that He lived eight years with us. I don't know if I have that kind of faith. I probably don't. I want to tell you that. But to say to God, thank you for the time that I had. You know, I'm more prone to say, why? Why not more time? And here's a believer saying, we're thankful for what we have. If there's something the American church must take to heart if we're going to reach the world, if we're going to live out our faith and not just play church but be the church, it is that we have to get to a point where we stop asking more and start thinking for what we actually have in all things. Paul here is writing and putting this term in the sense that we're not only thinking God for what He's given us, but we're thanking God on behalf of others. Thanking God for believers who do not seek His face, who do not seek His will, and we stand in that gap. Paul emphasizes prayer, and it is in that prayer closet that conviction occurs, that, that we're revealed where we have sin in our life, but it is also where we have fellowship with God. And we're doing that for us, and we're doing that on behalf of other people. Now let me ask you something. If you read the Bible, uh, Old and New Testament, when people encounter God, normally something happens. Normally there's some kind of a change. We've seen in the Old Testament where people glowed. You know, some people were crippled. Some people uh, became mute. Some people became blind. Some people came out singing God's praise. But there was a difference. So let me ask you this. Are you spending time with God in prayer? If so, is there a difference? When you communicate with God, is there a difference when you come out of that prayer closet? Paul writes this, verse 2. He says, we're doing this for kings. We're going to make prayer for kings and for all who are in high positions. He lists a certain type of, of person for believers, for us to pray for. Now living under the rule of a king, an emperor, that was common occurrence for Timothy and the church at Ephesus. They understood what Paul was saying. They really hadn't seen life any other way. Uh, the Jewish people knew about kings and living under the rule of kings. There's a couple of books written about it. I can think of two in the Old Testament. So that was common for them. They understood Paul saying, we're going to be under these people who are emperors and they are maybe monarchs. Some of them may be believers. Some of them may not be believers. But we need to pray for them. Now I'm glad that we're not under a monarch here in our nation. And I'm glad that we have the office of president that every four to eight years we get a new one. And uh, we have the peaceful transfer of power. But while in that office, they are our nation's leader. Pro-life or pro-choice, corrupt or uncorrupt, uh, good or bad, Republican or Democrat, that person is our leader and we are to pray that they seek God's guidance. 
They are our leader, and we are to pray they seek God's guidance. We pray that our president will seek God's will. Now, whether they seek God's will, that's beyond our control. That's not what we're responsible for. Amen? Amen. Right? But what are we responsible for? We're responsible for praying that they do. Paul says that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Peaceful, quiet. You think Paul is writing this and you think Timothy gets this letter and he says, peaceful and quiet? Is this really from Paul? Yeah. Paul, the guy that is imprisoned all the time, it's always causing an uproar in the, in the town square, going to court and arguing uh, on behalf of the gospel. Paul is saying um, we are to pray that that will not have to occur. Paul stood in the town centers and in the marketplace and proclaimed the gospel. He would die at the hands of government. You understand that? He would be beheaded in Rome. People can pray, and it's amazing the effects of prayer. People can pray and then charge into combat with peace. People can pray and charge into a burning building and save a child. It's amazing how prayer can affect someone. Paul is saying, we pray that we could live a peaceful life and not be persecuted. If we are persecuted, then we have to be. We're going to continue the mission of the gospel. But we pray for our leaders, they would have a change of heart. R.C. Sproul writes this. He says, our goal as God's people should be to have governing authorities who leave the church alone, that we might live out the faith openly and win people to Jesus, not rulers who force us to worship underground. A lot of the church is underground today. A lot of the church, this room would be considered a megachurch in many nations because this cannot exist because they would be persecuted, imprisoned, even killed. It is a good thing not to have a government, or it is a good thing to have a government not bother us. Paul and Timothy knew about an oppressive government. They lived under it. Verse 3, Paul goes on and says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Paul says that praying for our leaders is good and pleasing to God. Sounds easy. So let me ask you this. Is President Obama our our nation's leader? Are you praying for him? Are we praying for him? So if we are not praying for him, is that good and pleasing? Is that lack of prayer good and pleasing to God? If anyone needs prayer... It's someone like our current president. If we should ever be in the prayer closet for our nation's leader, it's someone whom is probably not. That's a charge to us as believers. You know, if you vote for one or the other candidates coming Tuesday, 
Doesn't matter who. I'll tell you that. I'm not here to advocate for either one. But if you vote for one of those buffoons, it's going to be our nation's leader. Uh, they're going. To, one of them's going to be the the president, more than likely, right? I mean, barring a real historic event, one of them is going to be our nation's leader. And when they take over that role, God has charged us to pray for them from the moment they take the oath until their last day in office. The church has been charged to intercede in prayer for them. Not saying that's always going to be easy, but we're not off the hook. We have been charged to do so. And it is pleasing to God that we do. And Paul turns it right here, verse 4. He says this, "...who desires this God, who desires all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth." Paul brings Timothy back. Right back to the main thing. Staying on topic. If you follow this presidential election, <laughs> you have seen people have a problem staying on topic. And when they stray off of topic, normally they own the news cycle for the next day or two, and it's normally not a good thing. People campaigns, corporations, they pay a lot of people a lot of money to help them stay on topic, stay on point. What is our goal? What is our main thing? Paul brings Timothy back to the main thing, the main topic. Everything we do as a local congregation, praying for our leaders, ministering to the poor, feeding the hungry, Educating. Everything we do as a believer must be to complete our mission given to us by Christ, which is the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Love God, love people. Take the gospel, make disciples. Our goal is to spread the gospel and make disciples. It is our goal. God is not worried about what's happening Tuesday. God's not going to stay up watching NBC for the latest totals, figuring out what, what's going to happen. I've got this plan if this one wins, and this plan if that one wins. That's not what's going to happen. God has, before the foundation of the world, made His plans. And I promise you, an election in America is not going to deviate that. And no matter who raises their right hand and takes the oath of office on the steps of the Capitol building and for the next four years at least governs our nation, God will still be on His throne. He is not abdicating. And it is in Him whom we pray. It is in Him who we seek His will. And it is in Him who we say we desire to please. And He says one way you can do that is pray for that person. So we have been charged to do so. And the reason we have been charged to do so is the goal of taking the gospel. That Paul says that we may not have to be in chains. That God's will would be done. That that person would seek God's will. And that we would not have to be imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. But if we have to be, we will be.
Because it is the gospel that is the main mission of the church. It is the gospel that is our goal to spread this gospel and make disciples. So we should pray and we should vote and we should pray in that order. Now let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Father, for the freedom, yes, we have in this nation. But Father, we thank You even more for the freedom we have in Christ. That even at the end of a gun or a sword, Father, countless before us, known only to You, have said they would not forsake the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we are not fortune tellers and we do not know what this nation is going to be in the next four years or in the next generations to come. But we know You. And we know You are on Your throne and You are holy and You are sovereign. And Father, we trust even in chains or in the freedom we currently have that the gospel would go forth. And we thank you for allowing us to be partakers and to be sharers of that wonderful message. And it's in Christ's name, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. So if you haven't already, please lean in, fill out the weekly update, pray with one another as we go this week.